Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week's episode is supported by Earshots and Nukeproof, and we've got a great giveaway for you that is only for this week, so make sure to keep listening and you find out how to enter. I don't know about you, but I've always struggled to find a set of headphones that stay in when I'm riding, in the gym or running. Well, James Bell Booth from Earshots was having the same problem, so he decided that he was going to go away and solve it. Earshots are an action sports headphone company who are dedicated to unlocking human potential through sound. The Bluetooth headphones use an innovative proprietary magnetic ear clip design. This unique design can withstand the sharp shock, speed and functional movements of action sports. I've had a set of Earshots for about six months now and I've been really impressed on a few different levels. First off, they come in minimal cardboard packaging, which is really refreshing for a tech product. Secondly, the battery life is great and the case itself is also a battery, so they're charging up when they're being stored. The battery in the case lasts ages too, so you don't have to remember to charge them up very often at all. Finally, in use, they really do stay put. I've tried them with a couple of different helmets over a mixture of terrain, including some pretty rough rocky stuff, and they really do stay in place. I've also used them in the gym and had zero issues. So if you're looking for a set of headphones that you can smash out some podcasts while you're riding or for some banging tunes to keep you motivated while training, Earshots have got you covered. You can find out more over at Earshots.com. Earshots are giving away a set of their innovative Bluetooth headphones to one lucky downtime listener. All you need to do to be in with a chance to win is to head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash Earshots. That will redirect you to their competition page where you can just pop in your name and email address and then you're entered. You've got until midnight on Tuesday the 13th of July to get that done, so head there now. If you've been on a mountain bike website in the last week, you'll probably have seen that Nukeproof have just launched their first e-bike, the aptly named Megawatt. And it's available in dealers now. Judging by Seb Stott's review, they've got it bang on. As Seb himself said, they've knocked this one out of the park. It's based on their race-winning Mega V4, but designed as an e-bike around Shimano's EP8 motor from the get-go. It's a mullet and sports 170mm of travel front and rear. They made some really smart decisions when designing the kinematic of the bike, optimising the anti-squat to create a bike that descends like a downhill bike, but with the motor on board can still climb like an escalator. The bike is supple off the top while remaining progressive and supportive through the rest of the travel. They've also managed to fit in a 500mm bottle or 620mm with a supplied adapter mount, and an accessory mount is on the top tube too so you can carry tools or whatever it is you want to put there. There's three spec levels to choose from, and I believe the Comp and the Elite are available now with the factory spec coming soon. Head over to nukeproof.com to check them out. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. Don't forget, I've got a brand new project launching soon. It's called Downtime EP, and if you want to get involved and find out more, then you can sign up over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP. Please make sure you're following the podcast on whatever platform you listen. There's going to be a button there that says follow or subscribe, so hit that now. It's free and it means you're going to get every episode as soon as it's available. If you can't find the button, then head over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe and there's links there to all the major platforms to help you. I'd also love it if you give me a follow on Instagram and Facebook where I'm at Downtime Podcast. It's the best place to keep up to date with what we're up to and it's always great to hear from you in the comments and the messages there, so keep them coming. All right, this week I'm joined by Innes Graham. Innes was one of the fastest young racers on the downhill circuit, and he left the scene after suffering a horrible crash at the Lenzerheide World Cup in 2016. 
leaving behind the buzz and the adrenaline of racing left Innes with a gap in his life which he found hard to fill leading to struggles with his own mental health. We sat down to find out about his rise through the sport, the impact that crash has had on his life and how he's rebuilt himself by reconnecting with mountain biking but in a slightly different guise. I want to say thanks to Innes for being really open and honest about how much leaving racing impacted him. It's an area we don't hear much about, but it is a big issue across many competitive sports. So without further ado, here's Innes Graham. Innes Graham, welcome to the Downtime Podcast. How's it going? Good. My voice is about to change and I'm going to get nervous. (laughs) Yeah, we've been discussing this before we hit the record button. Uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good, man. Thank you for the cup of tea. We're sat in uh, no in your kitchen in uh, sunny in Elethan. Yeah, believe it or not. Sunny Peebles even, see, sorry. I can see blue sky. Yeah, who knows what's going to happen later. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's kind of wind the clock back and start with the early days. Tell mm-hmm. us um, a little bit about how you got into riding because it was on your dad's bike, wasn't it, I think? like Yeah, probably. Um, my first bike was my sister's first bike. It was always a family of hand-me-downs um my earliest memory is probably i was about three uh we were on holiday at like a like campsite my sister and all, fr- all her friends were riding the bikes about and there's like a, a gradual downhill and then it's like a uh like a shower block and a, the road goes right my earliest memory is me just careering down this road, trying to follow them, not knowing how to steer a bike or pull the brake. So I just go head first in this pebble dash wall. <laughs> so I'm like gushing with blood and stuff. Yeah, probably paved the way, to nice. be honest. And you were, you were getting carried about on your dad's bike because he, he didn't learn to drive to it quite late. Is that right? So yeah, you've done your research. Yeah. yeah, I think I was actually thinking about this. I was going to speak to my dad yesterday. I was like, when did you get a driving license? Because this is going to come up. <laughs> And uh, so it has. Uh, my dad started to learn to drive, I think, when he was like 30. Okay. So it's quite late. Yeah. Um, so he's been driving probably 20 odd years. Um, and up until then, he just rode a bike, whether it was commuting, moving house, taking me places, my sister. Yeah, we, I basically grew up on the front or the back of a bike. <laughs> and then when I could start riding my bike myself, I remember just always trying to chase and beat him up hills. <laughs> he's like a short wiry guy and he loves a hill climb so the day that I got up that faster than him it was it was a good day yeah solid and uh whereabouts did you grow up because it wasn't in Leith and Peebles area was it nah, I'm from Fife uh, okay I'm a Fifer yeah um I was born in a place called Cooper mm-hmm. in a bath home birth um quite alternative family I guess so uh Fife born and raised and yeah. then I moved to Peebles in 2012 okay what's the riding like around the Fife area I've never been there it's all right (laughs) okay um i grew up on a like a private estate my dad was a or still is a gardener on this estate okay Um, so i just had acres and acres of woodland it's pretty much what built my career if you want to call it that just building trails jumps yeah remember building some boardwalk in a friend's hill we like he had access to a digger so we built two massive pit jumps remember them filling up with water one one winter and we're just like doing lake jumps into these pits it was pretty <laughs> wicked man yeah that's awesome to have yeah to have that freedom to just get stuck into the outdoors like that yeah, at a young totally. age is really cool i was home educated as well all uh, right okay so i don't really remember any schooling it was just days out in the woods building dens and all that jazz interesting as any kid would dream of so yeah how does that work then do you still have to go and do exams and stuff or Oh man, 
I don't know. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> I remember. So SQA, Scottish Qualification Association. I don't know what SQA stands for. It's basically the, the schooling system in Scotland. Uh, I remember them coming to visit the house maybe once to check if my parents were doing a good enough job. Okay. Yeah. Um, and they were like, yeah, they're fine. <laughs> uh, I remember we had like textbooks and stuff and we'd sit at the table for couple hours every day but I don't really remember it I just remember playing out in the woods and riding my bike very nice that sounds like a good childhood to yeah, me yeah no, it was wicked yeah mm. and then your kind of entrance into the mountain bike race world I guess yeah. there was a little there was a local bike shop that did a tryout yeah that's it yeah um so obviously my dad was always really supportive so was my mum of of my cycling and stuff so uh you might have heard of a, a rider called Joe Connell yeah, I know the name. Yeah. Um, he was pretty much like the dude that I was looking up to. And I was riding with him probably quite a lot. He was racing at the time. So I remember in 2009, I'd heard about the SDA series, Scottish Downhill Association. Yeah. In probably the year before, 2008. 2009, I went to watch a race. Uh, I can't remember what it was. Kill In, I think. Mm-hmm. Um And I was like, this is so sick. <laughs> I was like hyped <laughs> on it. And then... Pretty much from then on, I was like, I'm racing 2010. And my dad went to a bike shop in Dundee. It was called the Bike Works. Uh-huh. Uh, just to get my bike fixed. And he was having a chat. I wasn't there. He was having a chat with John. And John was like, yeah, we're having a trials for our, for our bike shop team. You should bring bring Innes along. He's not met me or anything. So then a couple of weeks later, we rock up to Dunkeld. Have you ridden Dunkeld? I have in the very wet, very slippery conditions. <laughs> and it was an education. Yeah. Education is how I put it as well. Um, so me, the really, really skinny under 50 kilogram, 11 year old on a massive downhill bike that my dad just picked up from the cash converters. I think it was, <laughs> it was an iron horse 7.5 with a U-turn boxer forks. Nice. Um, yeah. So we went to these trials and rode for half a day. I think there was like seven or eight other, other dudes, varying of ages I think I was the youngest and at the end of the day John was like Ennis you're gonna be my first pick awesome. and I was like oh sick there's I think there's a video clip of me coming down in like UFO vibrant kit walking trousers and running shoes or something <laughs> feel good mode but just ripping turns and then so I joined that team he was a distributor of KTM bikes okay back then so like early 2010 before this season I got helped out with a KTM bike. Well, I can't remember what it was called, but it was basically 35, 40 kilos of <laughs> heavy aluminium. And I couldn't pick it up. I remember going to Fort William that, that year, 2010, and I couldn't get it on the uplift. I had to get somebody to pick it up and put it on there. <laughs> but yeah, that was my first season race in 2010. Yeah. It went pretty well. Yeah. I was going to say your, your results, even on that bike started yeah, yeah, yeah. to come pretty quickly, didn't they? Yeah. I think I just had, raw speed and no brain <laughs> uh, I think my first race I finished second in juvenile second race was the same it was basically me and a rider called Sam Hurd uh-huh. battling it out back to back yeah and then I can't remember if I had a injury that year or not probably did but uh yeah I've been plagued with injuries but if I've not been injured I've been doing quite well in the races to be honest yeah it's been a it's been a fun run and a, and a really good seem to be part of right SDA seems to have yeah. brought a lot of big names up into the sport totally um just name drop a couple I think um 
back then the dudes that were killing it were Joe. Obviously, I looked up to Joe a lot. Um, Joe Barnes was racing downhill then on yeah. the orange. That was wicked. He's back on orange now. That's cool. Um, ben Cathro was on that MTB cut team as well. Uh, there'll be loads. Uh, Fergus Lamb, he was a gangster. Uh, my brain's gone blank, but yeah, it was a good scene. Jo- uh, Greg Williamson, yeah, of course. I think yeah. went pff, was doing really well. Fraser McGlone, yeah, I can keep going. Yeah, it's um, insane. So competitive. All, all Scottish riders as yeah, well. Yeah. And never mind the nationals. When I started racing nationals, it was obviously opened my eyes a lot. But yeah, yeah, the the talent in Scotland's still is high. It is. Obviously, yeah, it's shout out to Reese and stuff for the world's the title. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, mm. it's really cool. Yeah, and so 2012, you got picked up by Lapierre Cadets. That's which was correct. A program running at the time. How did that come about? So 2010 obviously was my first season racing. 2011, I was like, "This is awesome. I want to continue with it." Uh, started doing the national series. I changed from a KTM bike to a transition. Okay, and like natural progression of level of bike, grown a little bit. I'd gone into the youth category, so I was battling dudes like Phil Atwell and stuff. Okay. He was a year older than me. Um, and again, just kind of like kept progressing my racing, learning loads, tagging along to all the riders like Joe again. Joe was like a big part of my career. Um, and results-wise, that year went really well. As well, I can't remember where I finished overall or something, but I'd obviously caught some eyes. Um, so... I saw an advert on Facebook for this team called Lapierre Cadets. It was like a buy-on team, but it looked pretty cool. Um, it must have been like mid-season that that advert went out. I didn't really tell my parents about it. I was like, that's no point. They'll never pay for me to get on a team, no chance. And then it must have been like close to the beginning of the season. The entrance had closed for this, for this app, app, like applications for this team. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've seen this advert to my mum. And she's like, Innes, why didn't you flip and tell us about it? So I managed to dig it out, like remember the name of it. And I showed her and she's like, that sounds actually really good. Yeah. So I remember she helped me draft up like an email to Andy, who's the, the owner of the team huh. and ended up being a big part of um, my racing as well over the years. And my mum's pretty good at English um, and all that grammar stuff. Uh-huh. So she helped me draft up this email because she was like, ah, it should come from you, not, not me. I'm, yeah. I'm not just the parent. You're the, you're the writer. Uh-huh. So I sent this email to Andy and he got back. I think he phoned us actually. He didn't even bother replying. He was like, hey, thanks for your email. I'd love to chat. Like applications are closed, but you sound wicked. I've seen some of your videos. It's like, yeah, totally. Nice. So he let us get on that team. I remember here, it was, it was late on in the season. So he had to shuffle some things about to get me a bike and stuff. And he ended up, driving up from Stafford, uh-huh. which is where he still lives, yeah. up to Fife, which is where I was living back then. He drove up with his bike and delivered it himself. And I was like, it. come on, I'm only a youth rider. <laughs> Calm down. Um, it was Wicked Bike, Lapierre, DH920, mm-hmm. custom decals. Full, actually, I've still got the bike. My dad wants to sell it, don't sell it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And then that started my second year youth. So that was like quite a big turning point for a lot of riders, I think. That second year youth looking, basically you're comparing yourself to juniors. Yeah. Sometimes even elites. And if you're not, in my opinion, you're not really in the right mindset. If you want to 
progress on a race. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Racing is wicked. And the reason I started racing was just because I wanted to ride a bike. The best way to ride an uplift was go to a race and enter a race. It was cheaper than riding two days of uplift. So yeah. you get to see all the boys. So that was that. I started racing second year youth on this Lafayette team. It was loads of support. We had full pits. It was like almost like a mini factory team, really. Um, and halfway through that year, I realized that Andy was also a mechanic for the MS Mondraker team. So I was like, damn, that's, Andy actually knows what he's doing. He's <laughs> <laughs> not just some dude that's had a, had a wee youngsters team riffing about at the Nationals. And then that year again went pretty good. There was a couple of injuries. I think I broke my collarbone and then twisted my ankles and all that jazz. But yeah. as you do. And then we're probably fast forwarding quite fast, but the end of what year was that? 2012. I was on holiday. Me, my mom and my sister, I think, went to Gambia for wow. two weeks. It was really nice. Just That's cool. Beaching. Yeah. I remember getting an email from MS Mon or from Marcus Stockle, the owner of MS Monterey team, yeah. with a contract. And I was like, what? no flipping way. I was on holiday in my beach shorts swimming yeah. and stuff. And I just got this email. I was like, mum. Or I, I, called my, I didn't say mum. I called my mum and dad, Lee and Graham. Okay. My dad's name's not Graham Graham before you ask. Um, <laughs> alternative parents. Uh, yeah, I got this contract. It was for uh, like a factory team in the in the junior ranks of World Cups. So, were you, were you like? Did you have any inclination that that might be coming, or was that totally out of the blue? I can't really remember. Okay, I might have done, but I'm not really an some type of guy to as- assume things. Yeah, okay. I was like running with it. I'm riding my bike. I don't really think about the bigger picture. Yeah. Who um, else was on MS Mondraker at, at that point? Uh, that year, I'm not sure, but uh-huh. the year that I signed for, which was 2013, yeah. correct, was uh, Marcus Peckel, yeah. uh, Aust- Austrian writer, uh, Damien Spagnolo, mm-hmm. Frenchy, uh, and Emmeline Rigaud. Nice. That's a hell of a team, eh? Yeah, and I was slotting in there as a junior, so that was pretty crazy. Yeah, at this at this point as well, I'd so I was home educated up until high school. I did three, I did four years of high school in Fife, where I'm from, and then I'm not really that much of an academic person. So I'd heard about this base hmm. Borders Academy of Sporting Excellence. It was yeah. called back then mountain bike course, which is I was like. And again, Mum Lee, have you seen this base course? It looks pretty cool. Joe, I think himself was a student of it. I think that's how I heard about it. So in 20, 2012, when I, I got that Lapierre deal, I also moved to the borders. That's when I moved to the borders okay. as well. Yeah. I started doing, uh, attending that base mountain biking course. It's like, it's kind of like a degree in mountain biking, right? So this is the only thing I've taken notes for because I knew this would come up. <laughs> I asked Andy yesterday, who's the head coach for dirt school. Yeah. And I was like, Andy, can you tell me what base is? I'm the coach for base, but it's quite difficult. Um, base is uh, an academic course based in Galashiels for sporting people that not necessarily don't have like academic skills or anything, but it's like for people that want to pursue a career in their chosen sport. Uh-huh. Uh, it started off with football and rugby, right? possibly another sport, I'm not sure. But then the mountain biking 
side came in, I can't remember, I don't know what year exactly, probably 2009, I think it was set up. Mm-hmm. I've got a friend actually who's on it at the moment. Oh, so cool. my, my limited understanding is that, well, A, they do quite a lot of riding and a lot of sort of coaching and learning yeah. to improve the riding side. Mm-hmm. But Correct. then there's also academic studies around kind of sports science, like programming. Yes. So when I was a student, we had our academic and our riding days. Yeah. I think I did two days on the hill and then three days in the classroom. It was uh-huh. it's a full-time course. Yeah. Um, covers everything from like sports psychology, physiology, fitness, all that jazz. Nice. And then when we're on the hill, dirt school, the coaching company that I work for now, basically take different groups of riders out on the hill, talk about everything from technical skills, race craft, um, loads and loads of stuff. I, it sounds phenomenal. Yeah, it breeds talent. I'll talk yeah. about some of the base students later because they've just done something pretty impressive in the valley. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd been a student on base for a year, living in the living in in the Tweed Valley, and then I get this contract sent over from MS, and I'm like, flipping heck, cool. My dream is Jen literally coming true. Yeah. So that was wicked. Uh, the next year, stay on base get this fancy bike and it's kind of like really starting to ramp up now, like spoiled for choice on bikes, getting taken out to San Remo, doing testing. San Remo's wow. in Italy. It's like where most of the teams do testing these days. Yeah. We had like a suspension technician truck come along to, and it was, it was crazy, man. And being 16 at this age, I, in hindsight, totally took it for granted. Did right. not know what opportunities I had at my fingertips. Um, hindsight is a beautiful thing. Um, and that was cool. Like that first season of World Cups was eye-opening. Yeah. What was it like turning up at your first ever World Cup? But I mean, having really top-end support, that's a top team, right? Top, top team. It was probably what, at that at that that year, it was probably the team with the biggest pits, to be honest. It was quite an extravagant setup we had. Still is, right? Still is, yeah. yeah. Um. The, I think I'd taken Brooke's position on the team. So Brooke had okay. left for Trek World Racing yeah. that year and I'd slotted in there as a, I think it was the first year that the juvenile category had been a thing. Mm-hmm. So before that, obviously every listen, everyone listening knows that the juniors would always have to qualify in that top 80. But yeah. when I started racing, juniors had their own category and I think it was like top 30 qualified. Mm-hmm. So... Not too deep a field, so I think I think I did all right. I, I can't really remember. It was just eye opening. I was still really small, weak rider, really. Okay, like talented, but not so strong compared to a lot of the other riders. Uh-huh. Um, so the shorter tracks would be like wicked, and like the nationals. I was really loving the national tracks because they just didn't have that elevation or that kind of walk up status, really. Yeah. So that was eye opening. I've really buckled down and had to get my head into gear. Uh, it was a, a few years ago now. I can't really remember much. Well, you won the junior national champs, didn't you? Rudy fell in that year in the UK. Junior national. I think that was the the following year. I can't remember. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, 2013. I think. But okay, I don't don't know. we can check if recent you, rain. Yeah, <laughs> recent rain, man. Yeah, I obviously had a lot of top results. I had a fastest time of the day I think in my first year junior at, at like a Scottish or a national race uh-huh. I think a Scottish race and then yeah 
But yeah, your the world, whole your World Cup results sort of climbed throughout that first season, I think. So yeah, I think you ended up with a fourth at Mont Saint Anne, then a second at Hafiel. Second was at probably the end of the I've season. got the trophy still in my bedroom. Nice, it's one of my favourite ones. Yeah, Hafiel, that track's wicked, man. I wish they'd bring it back. Um, the first time I met Bragg Vestavik as well. Shout out to Bragg. Yeah, hardcore. Be rage, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm guessing like coming off the back of that season, so you you've signed for one of the biggest teams you've got this great opportunity you've had a, a season where you've worked your way into world cup so the results are really starting to come mm. you must have gone into 2014 with pretty high expectations for yourself i guess always have high expectations for myself chris <laughs> um yeah i think obviously like, like you said climbing results wise more experience um a couple of good results on the belt um I've thought about this for so many times, like why didn't it quite go the way I wanted? I think I just, I'm just not that much of a competitive person. Okay. I don't think, I don't think so. I just didn't have that drive to really like think about the decisions I was making. Okay. Um, I just loved riding my bike and I wanted to go as fast as I could not necessarily to beat anyone. So I was just like blowing up turns and <laughs> wrecking myself really. Um, so it's more about the enjoyment of riding good tracks than it was about beating your maybe. rivals sort of thing. Yeah. Just, I don't, I don't really know. Yeah. I can't really explain it. I, w- I wanted to do well and I was so involved and engrossed. It was like almost tunnel vision. All I did was ride my bike and ever. That's why I think now I've like kind of expanded and trying to do things and, kind of just living life a little bit more, but yeah, those first two years of junior were such a whirlwind of craziness. I can't really remember it, to be honest. I just remember having a couple of cool results and yeah. traveling the world and being on a team with rad people that I'd always looked up to. So I can't complain at all. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible for, for, for that age. Definitely. Yeah. And then 2015 saw you moving up into elite. So this is where I kind of like start to remember things a little bit more. 20, was that 2015 first year? Yeah. Chris, thank you for doing your research. No worries. Um, yeah, that was a cool year. I remember the first race I did, I had the best elite result in a walk. I think it was, it was Fort William. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was, top 20 maybe like a 17th or something yeah, i was gonna say it's 17th or 18th i think yeah and yeah. uh, that was wicked that i can't really explain what that feels like to come down that track like star everyone's heard it at the start you can hear the fans man it's it's crazy a, it's a buzz just being at that place i yeah. can't imagine what it's like to ride Being the track it's terrifying yeah. <laughs> <laughs> feels like you're going in a battle do you think there's more pressure being inverted commas local being mm. scottish Not really. Okay. I don't think so. It's more exciting. You want to just do well. I, yeah. I, I, the only pressure I felt was from myself. Uh-huh. I never really felt pressure from a team or other people. It was like, I'm getting this opportunity. I might as well just t- t- make the most of it. Yeah. Take advantage of it. But yes and no. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, a, a cracking result. And then later that season, I think you picked up an injury. Lenza Hyde. Maybe yeah, that not was, your favorite track. I it was your birthday, wasn't it? It was did that as well. Yeah. Oh, man. So that, was that the first... I'm going to ask you for more info. Is that the first time that we went to Lenzerheide? I 
think it might think, well have been. I'm yeah, pretty sure the it was. first year because so, Pete had done well, been involved in the track build, hasn't he? So maybe. there was all this kind of build up to it, and then I think a lot of races were like, mm, Pete, what did you do, man? So good, <laughs> Steve, bro. Tricky track, right? Like super fast, like lacking in grip in a lot of spots. Awkward. Awkward is how I'd put it. Yeah, it's super super fast, and then really gnarly. But then there's bike park turns with just marbles on them. It didn't suit my riding style at all. Uh-huh. Um, I gave it a crack. I can't remember when or how I broke my collarbone, but it was on my birthday. Snapped my collarbone in half. Yeah. So you came out of that season, mm-hmm. uh, that top 20 at Fort William showing, right, okay, the speed's there. I was all guns blazing, man. I was loving the bike. We'd had a lot of good off-season. Obviously, I'd, I was still at base. Yeah. Um, so I'd had a good season leading up to that training and stuff, like having that program and that support around like Ruri Cunningham was coaching me at that point nice. on base. So like the environment for me leading up to that next first elite season was second to none really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what happened with the MS Mondrek thing? Did that, was that not an option to continue there or was the, was the propane thing too attractive? How did that all yeah, fit? I think they were just put off by my injuries. I had a couple okay. like niggly ones. I'd maybe missed a couple of races. So no hard feelings to understand the decision for them not to offer me another contract. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good experience to go through. Um, then that propane deal came up and it was like probably more my thing, a little bit more UK based, which mm. is the tracks I was preferring. I really got on with Ben the whole team was cool. It was with Phil. Me and Phil had a good rapport. Yeah, I was going to ask what it was like having Phil Atwell as a teammate. It must have must have made for a fun uh, fun trip around the world. <laughs> Explicit content. <laughs> <laughs> I won't make this podcast PG. Um, Phil's wicked. Nah, big love to him. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that 2015 leading to 2016, I changed obviously from the Mondraker bike to the the propane bike which I loved. Mm -hmm. That bike was incredible. Um, Also being like the young junior first year elite kind of like underrated rider to then joining Phil, me and Phil were like similar speed. It was like, there was another junior below me. I felt like more like comfortable. I had like a more Mm -hmm. of a purpose than being like the, like the, not that I was forgotten about a push to the side because I had total equal Mm -hmm. everything in in that MS team. But I felt older and more mature and yeah, like yeah. more of a purpose had more decision like w- how things were done in that team as well so that was really really sweet um and that that 2016 year was flipping probably the best year race i had and the worst <laughs> well yeah so you you won your first elite national race again at ridafellin yeah um you were last man down the hill i think did you qualify fastest I qualify fastest and then yeah. did you stick a semi-slick on <laughs> Yeah, so if you if you've been to that track or you've not been to that track, it's basically a very very fast average high speed. Um, it was dusty that race, and I was just loving it. Could not get enough of it. Didn't have any upside down moments. It was like perfect <laughs> beginning to end, and it's like people talk about being in the zone and you don't really remember much of it. It's just like everything you're taking those boxes, those processes and stuff. It was like next, next, next. It was easy days, man. So I qualified fastest, um, on the Saturday. 
and I wanted to go faster. <laughs> it's not that I wanted to like beat anyone. I was like, oh, I better like, I just wanted to go faster. Like, how do I go faster? So it's I, purely for you. Like, yeah. There's no thought about the, the competition. No, just, I was like, just laughing about it, <laughs> having the best time. So I was like, Ben, do we have a harder spring for this fork? And he's like, dude, you're on the second hardest spring. You're like 55 kilos. Are you just here? He's like, yeah, yeah, I want to go faster. So he's like, <laughs> all right, cool. Like, kind of like gave me this idea. I was like, dude, you've just gone fastest. Like, just calm down. Because he obviously knows about my history of going too fast, blowing his eyes. He's like, dude, just chill. I was like, nah, nah, nah I want to go faster, bro. So we stick that, like, I can't remember the hardest spring the extrusion did. Yeah. And I was like, do we have any rock razors? The Schwalbe semi-slick back yeah. then. And I was like, yeah, why? Do you want it on your drill bike? Nah, <laughs> put it on the dyno bike. And he's like, oh, <laughs> come on in it. But yes, yeah, so we did that Saturday night. Went out of practice. It was like greasy in the morning. I was like, oh, what have I done? Like that morning dew on the grass and stuff. I just ran it, ended up. Last man down the hill, pedaled as hard as I could. Petey's in the hot seat at this point, right? He must have been, yeah. yeah. No, it was. It wasn't the first time I qualified fast at a race, but I remember just sitting up there with a the turbo, watching all those boys like go off to the start. I'm like, oh my god, Jesus! This is like ratty goes to the fifth and start line. Petey's there, you know, G, Matt Simmons, all the top British dudes, obviously. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, cool. Let's go time. And it was, to be honest, the most relaxed I've been at a race all all through up until that final run, even like when everyone's there and I'm just the only one at the top of the hill with my mechanic and stuff. I was like, this is easy. A little fist bump, sprint at the gate. That run was pretty much perfect. Don't really remember much. Yeah. Just in the zone, come across the line. Size on, and then this goes first. And it's cool because there's a video of it and I come across the line and Cy announces that I've just beat Pete and everyone's like, ah, oh, like so disappointed for Pete dog. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Um, yes, that was funny. And also like, come on, I yes. just won my first national. Lovely but, reception for your first <laughs> national elite. Uh, it was wicked though. Like <laughs> yeah, good times. Yeah. Fair play. I love that approach though. You just don't care about the competition. You mm. just, I'm enjoying this. It was still calculated. Like I, I wasn't, being a total reckless child. Yeah. But it was dry track, loads of support in the turns. It was fast and rough. So, yeah, hard spring rock racer. Why not? Did the trick. Did the trick. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. And how are the World Cups going that season? Were you kind of getting a bit more comfortable in that environment in the elite? Field? Yeah, super comfortable. Um, I think I just had, I don't like making excuses, but just, just some bad luck. Like weather wasn't really playing to my game. Um, Nationals were obviously my thing. Uh-huh. I love national. Actually, we're national champs is back at Riddlefellon this year. Is it? And, and uh, I'm really tempted to get into that, but we'll get see. the semi slick out. Yeah, <laughs> I'll just do it for the banner, man. Um, World Cups, I don't know. Just struggled. Yeah. Big tracks, long tracks, rough tracks. Not my thing. Uh-huh. So that's fair enough. Um, yeah. Again, we go back to. Lenzerhide from that national win and it's just downhill man excuse the pun um yeah ended up having a big one there and was that off was it Petey's plunge is that the drop yeah so go from 
beating Pete to Pete being me. <laughs> Got his own back. Yeah. Yeah, talk us talk us through well, talk us through the feature and then talk us through kind of what happened. It's a it's a really fast open section that goes dives into some woods as a bit of a hairpin and it slows right down. Um and you've got to be really patient. It's an awkward left over like a probably like a six foot high drop. And you're basically a standstill and you need to like almost bunny hop off this drop and then get like an inside. Uh-huh. I have no idea what happened. Just, I think, yeah, just misjudged my speed, plunged my front off that drop and went over the bars, bounced on that front wheel, bounced again, landed on a stump. And just, I heard the biggest crack and I was like, okay. I looked down, I'm like, my head's, pointing down the hill my legs are above me I look up and my right legs crossed over my left like just below oh. my hip and I'm like oh, that's weird <laughs> like what the hell is going on so I grab my leg and like flop it back so they're in line and then I'm like I've broke my femur oh my god Whoa. and that was pretty terrifying um so many thoughts go through your mind. Well, you'll know. I uh, have done Although that break, unfortunately. I was um, obviously trying to make a career in Daryl Man back in. I know people who have broken their, um, their femurs before, but it's like, it generally feels like the end of the world. Like, So I'm just like, just fix me. Holy crap, just make this feeling go away. I remember reaching out and like Rui Cunningham's hands just holding mine. He's like, he's going to be fine, dude. Don't worry. And that probably saved my ass nice. for the next like half an hour while the medics got to me. Take that long to get to you. Felt like it. Wow. <laughs> Not, nothing on those guys. Like they did a killer job. I yes. remember when they finally found me, they were like, okay, we're going to give you some pain relief. I was like, yes. And they're, this is going to feel like you've downed a bottle of wine in about <laughs> 30 seconds. I'm not much of a drinker, but man, that was the best, best feeling. Takes the edge off a bit, eh? Yeah. They're good at pain relief in, they, uh, it in was, Europe. It was ketamine that they gave me. Horse tranquilizers, yeah. basically. Yeah. And I remember looking up and trees started melting on me. <laughs> it was pretty wild. And then from there, I remember getting stretched off the hill. I got a heli ride from the bottom of the track and Ben's like running over Ben Reed who owns yeah. the propane team running over he's like Ennis what the <laughs> I'm like it's cool man I'm gonna go ride in a heli and just don't off my tits <laughs> just yeah and then I remember that I've got videos of me sending snapchats to Rory Cunningham when I'm lying in the hospital bed and I'm like shout out to you bro thanks dude <laughs> and then I had surgery in Switzerland week in hospital it was probably the worst week of my life anyone speak english minimal english i had a couple of visitors but then the, when the race finished everyone had to go on to the next yeah. the next race or whatever they're doing that so i was a week in hospital on my own i was vegetarian and the food was dreadful i've always been around quite nice food always from the beginning of my life my family's really foodie so yeah. being a bit of a food snob I was like come on is this the best you can do but yeah it was alright what was going on in your head then were you like I'm kind of over this or not do you that, just want to get back not at that point at that point I was like right doing quite a lot of research figuring out like talking to a physio and stuff at home already about it like I was just had days and days on my laptop so I was like doing loads of research for myself and now what I was all in for racing bikes. Yeah. Um, 
And then I got home, still on track, loads of physio, back on a road bike after three months, I think. Okay. I remember I was, I was in crutches for, I think, f- five months. Bloody hell. Um, but on a road bike at three months. Impressive. <laughs> yeah. I, to be so f- I'd crutch. Yeah. Uh, at first I'd like sit on a turbo and I just try and turn my legs over. Yeah. And then I was like, yeah, I can turn my legs over real good, but I can't wait there. But I, was like, I want to ride a bike. So I remember going out for my first road ride and my mum was like, Ennis, what are you doing? I was like, nothing, I'm just going on a ride. <laughs> I'm crutching to the garage, road bike out, sit on a bike, spin off. I'm like, I get like 20K and I'm like, this is so stupid. What if I fall off or I need to like fix a puncture or something? I can't even stand up properly. But yeah, young reckless Ennis was just wanting to ride his bike. Um, I think it was about six months and my recovery had slowed down. I still wasn't feeling strong. I was like having a, I think I had a limp for about a year. Yeah. And I was just like, this is not cool, man. I was like loads of time to reflect on racing. I was like, you're living on your own at this point as well. Mm, no, I'd moved back. Okay. I'd, I'd moved back home. Good question. So I was, I was living in Inalithan when I was at college. And then when I finished college, I stayed in living in Inalithan. And just riding, but then I broke my leg and I moved back to Fife. Okay, I moved back to my dad. So my yeah. dad was like, "I can't have you living in a like a two story flat with a dog." And I had a dog at the time as well. We Austin. Um, so he was like, "Come back, come back to my. I'll look after you." Yeah. So I did that. That was wicked. Um, I guess that leads on to quitting racing. So it's like six months into recovery from the femur. I was just like, yeah. I'm not that fussed about racing anymore. That like competitive thing or whatever amount of competitiveness I had, I was just like, mm, I don't think it's what I want to do anymore. Uh-huh. And this is when I was at my dad's, obviously. So made that decision, called Ben. I was like, yo, Ben, I appreciate everything you've done, but I need, I need some more time. He's like, cool. Let me know when you're ready. So Fair can't point. thank that dude enough for that. Um, so I made that decision. I was like, right, what am I going to do? <laughs> I think this is this is kind of like a big thing for anyone in professional sport when they have an injury or they decide to stop racing or something. You go from being doing the thing that you're best at at such a high level and it is genuinely your life to then nothing. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's talked about enough. It's like I struggle with mental health quite a lot. Um, but I didn't recognize it as like, oh, I'm struggling with stuff right now. Okay. Um, so I'd, I did, made that decision to stop racing. I was at my dad's. I was like, well, what am I going to do next? Uh, a, f- a friend of mine was advertising a job in a kitchen. Right. And I was like, right, yeah. He was like, in it, so I'll, I'll get your job if you want. I had no income. I was living at home. I was just, this is crap. I'm, how, how, how old was I? 20. No, don't make me do math. <laughs> I was younger than I am now. <laughs> and I was like, right, I need a job. Yeah, cool. I'll start working in your kitchen. So I started working in a place called St. Andrews, a restaurant called Blackhorn. Shout out to Blackhorn. Um, it was cool. It was something different. I thought it was wicked. I was kind of like, it was quite a, a uni town. Okay. Like highly populated in, in uni students. It was fast paced restaurant life. Uh, if you've worked in catering, you'll know that it's brutal, but 
flipping awesome at the same time. So almost delivering a little bit of adrenaline in that. Yeah, I was searching for something. I yeah. wanted to do something different, but new crowd of people. It was cool. Something I was unfamiliar with. And I mentioned this to you before we started recording. It's like, I've always got to have something that I'm progressing with. Mm-hmm. And I hate feeling stagnant and like I'm on a plateau. So this like working in the kitchen was like, started just like cooking a little bit of food, bit of front of house stuff. I worked through um, that up until like, I was assistant manager when I left with, I was like really friend, good friends with the, the manager Storm. His name's Storm, yes. Um, so I was his assistant manager. I was like, the, like again, like progressing up through there and like finding my feet, really like feeling like I had a purpose again. It was cool. Yeah. Um, was that was that helping you from a mental health perspective, or were you still? Yeah, it was missing something from that racing side of things. Like? Mm. Because I, I I couldn't ride a bike very well up until like a year after that, and I was just like there was something missing. Yeah, so I was yeah. like feeling my time, kind of just like going to the pub, like doing what people my age normally would do. Um, So that was cool. It felt wicked, but I still wasn't addressing the fact, like, I've not really got a purpose. I don't want to work in a kitchen all my life. It's it's cool, but it's crap. Yeah, okay. It's horrible. I was doing, like, 50-hour weeks sometimes, and then, like, just, I remember, this is gross. (laughs) I was working so many hours, and, like, in this same sweaty ass kitchen. It was so, so hot. We had like, it was like a burger restaurant. So we had like open grill, 200 degrees. I remember coming home, my feet would just be like bleeding from athlete, athlete athlete's food because it's so hot and you're in the same shoes all week. And it's pretty savage. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, it was just grim. Like, but, uh, but on the other hand, it was like really, really fun. Like I had a, my first like proper relationship and stuff through those three years that I was working in the restaurant. It was, it was cool, but, um, yeah, mental health thing was, I don't even really, it's, it's something that's not talked about enough. I definitely wanted to bring it up yeah. while we we're chatting. Um, I seen something Tani Seagrave put on Instagram the other day and I've been thinking about it a lot and she was like, uh, Instagram is like a highlight reel, isn't it? Yeah. And all people share is like the best of the best, them looking cool, doing rad stuff, cool places to go. And, but Tani opened up a lot on, on an Instagram post the other, the other week and it was like, I can't remember what it says. Go, go check it out. It'll hopefully still be there. If she, if she's deleted it, then I hope he's all good. But it basically saying like, I'm not feeling good. And being open about that is something that is not done enough. I think um, there's a lot of stigma around not feeling good and being open about it for sure especially with with young guys um i think that's probably something that this year's been pretty cool about is like a lot of um good things have been talked about yeah definitely so did you realize at the time that you were having issues in the on the sort of mental health side of things mm. or were you just kind of sweeping it aside in your own head like how how aware of it were you I was aware of it, but I was blaming other things and I wasn't addressing it. Okay. I think, um, I took it out on the relationship that I was in uh-huh. quite a lot. And there was this like, I, I started to realize I was like, this is not a healthy place for me to be. Um, and that was probably after like two and a bit years of 
I'm not blaming the, the, the relationship. I'm not blaming the place I was working. It was like a whole combination of going from like, like I said, being a top level athlete in your sport to then yeah. like nothing. And I think that's what sort of like started that little spiral of being, mm, being un, unhappy. Yeah. Dep- depressed. Would you use yeah, the word depressed? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. At times. Um, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah. Highs and lows, peaks and troughs. But I'm grateful for both. Like, yeah, you learn from the lows and totally. Yeah. So how did you go about working your way out of that period of your life? Like once you've started to realize, oh, hang on a minute. Mm. I think this combination of what's going on is pulling me down. Like, how do you like rebuild, I guess, and get, get happy again? Some may say it was like a a coward's way out, but I was like, (laughs) I need out of this flipping, this town. I need to do something new. Yeah. So, um, this was probably 2019. There was an advert on Facebook again for Dirt School, who is the coaching company that run the base program that I was a student of back yeah. in 2012 and 13. They put out an advert like looking for coaches. I was like, all right. At that point, I was like, I don't know if I want to be a coach, but for the I'll do anything other than what I'm doing now. Uh-huh. So I remember I called up Andy, who's one of the owners of Dirt School as a company and the the main guy that was coaching me back in the day, I was like, Hey Andy, and been a while just seeing your advert for, um, for the coaching job. I was like wondering what, what it's about. Could you shed me a little bit more light and stuff? And Andy being the hero he is, he was like, yeah, yeah, cool. It was good to hear from you. Sent over links of like the qualifications that I needed. There was like a first aid, a coaching thing, and then something else, I think. And he was like, come back to me when you've, when you've got all these. So I was like, right, cool. Now I've got something to work towards. Yeah. I wasn't working towards anything. Okay. I think like I've the type of person I am, I've always got to be progressing. I've said this a couple of times. Mm. So it's like, right, book that first aid, book that um trail technical trail leader thing. It is the qualification I've got. It includes coaching in that. And I chip away at those, get them done and I email Andy. I was like, Hey Andy, here are my certificates. What's next? And he was like, all right, cool. He's, he means business. Not messing, yeah. Yeah, no, I just make it happen, I think. And that's something that base taught me. It was like, you make it happen. Like, whether it be in your sport or just normal life, is like, do something to make you happy. Like, chip mm-hmm. away at something, tick goals. So I did that, and I ended up doing a couple of shadowing sessions with, with Dirt School on the day courses and quite quickly progressed through with that and ended up being a freelance coach yeah. for, for base and some of their private courses that they run in the Tweed Valley. Nice. So it's finally that kind of back on my feet, got a bit of a purpose again, loving life back on a mountain bike. Yeah. We've skipped that. Oh yeah. We should talk about that <laughs> a little bit. Cause was yeah. that, is there a link to G Milner there? What, how did all that yeah. fit together? G shout out to G. Um, so we're going to jump back a couple of years. So I'd finished racing, started working in that restaurant. While I was working that restaurant, the guys that I was hanging out with were big into BMX. So I ended up buying a BMX, getting really into that. I was like progressing with that real quick. Everyone was like, hey, get lost, man. Stop it. I was like, <laughs> a bike's a bike, dude. Like handlebars, set of tires. It's, it, it, 
it was an unfamiliar territory for me yeah whether in, in, although it was a completely different discipline so really fell in love with bmx and it was just class we did i did my first lads holiday we went to barcelona it wasn't really a lads holiday we went to ride bikes for a week and a half i think in 2017 the year after i stopped racing and i was like the best thing man like all the boys just going out riding bikes filming it was no pressure to like perform like mm-hmm. super creative i don't know if you've ridden bmx but just good times really like yeah. um so i was doing that for those three years while i was in the restaurant um i'd the first time i rode a mountain bike again was i was shooting some photos with max rendell mm-hmm. I can't remember what he was filming, but I shot some photos for him. He had his bike. I was like, oh, can I have a go? And he's like, yeah, cool, whatever. <laughs> it was probably like two and a half, maybe whatever, years after last riding a bike. And I was just like took to it. It was a 29er. I'd not okay. ridden a 29er before. It was still 27.5, 650B yeah. wheels when I stopped racing. So that 29 I was like, oh, this is weird. I was like getting kicked <laughs> in the butt and stuff. Um, but loved it. And then like, that was, I did two runs or something. There's a video on Instagram of it. Um, and then G who I've always been friends with, he did a couple of video projects with me back on the Lapierre Cadet days. He put up something on Instagram for one of his dream builds. He was like, yeah. I need a rider that's not sponsored by someone that can ride this bike. I was like, yeah, cool. I sent G a message. like, yeah, yeah cool. So I drove down to Sheffield and did, I think, two days, maybe a day, two days filming with G on the, the Radon bike. And it was cool. It was class. just good to see G again, just rode the bike and stuff. And then got home and then Radon, once the video dropped, Radon sent me a message. They're like, hey, like, not really heard of you, but you seem cool. And you see, you don't ride mountain bikes anymore. What was the deal? So I told them this a very short version of what we've just talked about. Yeah. And they're like, all right, well, how about you just keep that bike? And I was like, get yeah, like dream, <laughs> one of G's dream build bikes. If you've seen them, they're pretty swanky. Um, so got that bike and that was by having that bike that really gave me the opportunity to the, then follow the dirt school thing. Cause yeah. as you know, mountain bikes, bloody expensive. So if it, if it wasn't for, for that, I wouldn't have been able to pursue the coaching job with dirt school. Nice. Yeah. So it's all kind of Falls yeah. in place. Yeah, it does. It was, was it hard to kind of walk away from that place where you were? Like the, I guess the scene you'd built within BMX there, the job, the relationship, or was it, were you so kind of <laughs> clear that that all needed to go? Like it wasn't that difficult. No. Right. I'm still friends with him. Okay. I still got my BMX, still meet up with him. If, yeah. if, if I get the chance to still ride BMX and stuff, I just needed out of that environment. Yeah. It wasn't really the people. It was just like, I need to get back to something that I'm really passionate about. Yeah. And bikes, mountain bikes was the answer really. So yeah. Was it an, was it an instant change in the way you felt like yeah. once you got back here, kind of in the Valley, got a mountain yeah. bike between your legs, got involved. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, just being in the environment, surrounded by people that are all on the same goal like the team at dirt school is so class all have the same interest of like riding the bikes improving on whatever they're doing it's such a progressive company and they've done so much for me i really want to give back and i know how influential the coaching can be to a young rider so then 
having that experience and want to like give back to the base students now and anyone else that books onto a coaching course with direct school is like wicked man it was like yeah instant like snap of the fingers that's cool so you knew mm. straight away you'd made exactly the right yeah. decision yeah yeah definitely so in a way it can be i guess i mean it's quite simple it's a big change but it's not it wasn't a difficult thing to do it's just a case of recognizing where you were and what was wrong yeah and like you say just getting it done and changing stuff right it, it took a while for me to realize and also pluck up the guts to sack off this pretty good wage i was on yeah for something that i was i was gonna be freelance so it wasn't a guaranteed uh-huh. worker hand but i was like dude I, I need to do that so i moved back to gala shields in the end of 2019 after doing a good few months freelance work with third school so when i moved back to the borders then they also were super awesome and they gave me like they gave me a, a full-time job, so I'm like now employed by Dirt School. Oh, okay, nice. So I was grateful for that, especially given the last <laughs> couple of years we've had. Um, yeah. yeah. You were going to mention earlier some of the base school students had uh, achieved a few yeah. impressive things recently. They are immense. So if you've heard of the Everest Challenge, it's basically started off as a road cycling challenge, I think on Strava. Um and it's basically you need to, you choose a, a loop and you need to do that loop however many times to climb the height of Everest, which is 8,400 yeah. and something meters in as long as it takes, but you're not allowed to sleep or leave the venue. Okay. So these boys decided to do it on enduro bikes up Golfy, which is uh, where the EWS is ridden, ridden yeah. stages and stuff. It's pretty gnarly trails. They chose a lap and a trail to do on it. the trail is called flat white and if you've ridden it it's not easy no, <laughs> it's, it's rough it's pretty steep and there's not really a time to rest yeah yeah if you can it's on the go the whole way down isn't yeah. it really so they set themselves this challenge of doing the everest the everest challenge around this i think it's like two and a half kilometers yeah um and they want to do it under 24 hours if you can think, imagine like 24 hours in a saddle going under a two and a half kilometer loop. It ended up being 48 laps. <laughs> they were riding for something like the fastest rider did it in 20 hours. Whoa. Nonstop, they ended up riding 165k or something, 9,000 yeah. meters of climbing. Um, It just kind of is a really good representation of the the environment that base is for young riders it's like so encouraging and it's everyone's just got everyone's best interest at heart it's like not even it's competitive but in that like really productive friendly uh-huh. way like everyone's got everyone's backs while they were doing that everest challenge me and greg my flatmate went over to like give them some encouragement at one in the morning we ran 15k <laughs> up and down the road just like cheering them on come on that boys way. you got it like um yeah the seven of them completed it that's impressive how many set off uh i think uh, seven of them wanted to do it right to do okay it. yeah yeah a couple of them are like i think it was like 10 or 11 maybe 13 of them road okay. in that 24 hours see like how it would go them laughs, kind of thing, keep yeah. them going and stuff but it, it was no mean feat it was pretty uh, impressive yeah to watch it definitely 
gave me a kick up the ass. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. And they've just, uh, there was the locals enduro here yesterday, the first mm. Tweedlove event of the year. And I think some of the base students took the fastest times of the day in yeah. a very talented valley of riders as well. Yeah. Cleaned up really. Um, mm. I, I've, to be fair, I've not looked at the results yeah. properly, but yeah, they all did really well. They're all riding absolutely amazingly. It's wicked to see them actually manage to get on the clock for the first time in a in a very long time. So it's nah, I'm proud of them. To nice. say the least. Yeah, yeah so cool. you're enjoying not only the job but also the products of the job. I guess seeing those yeah. guys and girls it's coming so out of it, whether it be the base base students or or the any private stuff like it's so much more rewarding than racing for me. Uh-huh. I think that's why I why I've kind of come to the conclusion that I wasn't that competitive. I prefer giving than like receiving. Yeah. Whether it be equipment or like going across the other side of the world to race and buy, I was like, I want to give back. I want like I get more reward out of that. So Yeah. Yeah, that's class. Nice. And you, alongside that you you have a passion for photography you've been doing some photography and videography kind of stuff as well a little bit of video mainly photography yeah i first picked up a camera properly when i was racing i remember boris bear my dog boris gave me one of his spare cameras i think at leo gang Uh um the year that steve smith won actually okay Um, i remember shooting finals with boris's lent camera (laughs) I was like, this is class, like shooting some really, really cool moments. And man, shout out to Steve Smith. Rest in peace, dude. Yeah, incredible rider. Um, mm-hmm. But I remember just like witnessing that and being able to like take pictures of that. I was like, that's wicked. So yeah, I remember getting home from that race and buying a camera and not setting up my business, but like taking on freelance work and stuff. And that's been a massive part of my personal growth as well just taking pictures learnt lows whether it be invoicing organizing <laughs> clients i do quite a lot of weddings and stuff so that's been sort of weird i had an engagement shoot last weekend and it was quite strange like right now guys just kiss and it's like nobody wants to tell someone to kiss and then it's just uncomfortable man but no it's cool Nice. I'm really loving taking yeah. pictures. I always have. I think I always will. And another thing where you can see that curve of progression exactly. and work your Bingo. way up. Yeah. Very nice, man. Sounds like you're in a good place with it all. It's going well. Yeah. Still not satisfied, but. Yeah, go on. So what um, what are the plans with the mountain biking side of things? You sort of hinted at the fact that there was a national champs on a course you quite <laughs> like. I think I've read rumours somewhere about maybe having a go at some enduro world series type stuff, maybe Trophy of Nations. Yeah, I was, so I was entered into that. And I realized that I don't have enduro legs. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's, I love coaching the enduro stuff, but I'm a, I'm a downhiller. I would love to race that national national race just, just for the crack, just to see where I end up. Um, but honestly, racing is not my thing. Okay. Yeah. Radon asked if I'd race like the e- EWS. I was like, maybe. But I don't have the drive for it. Like from my reaction just then, it's like, if you're not like, yeah, let's flip and do it, then don't do it. Yeah. If it's not a big yes, then yeah. it's a no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So progress with coaching. I want to work out, work with these guys for for the foreseeable future at least yeah. and just keep progressing with that. And there's so many bits to fill and places to see people to meet. Yeah. 
and a few other other projects alongside. So DJing is another <laughs> area you're pushing on the progression curve in. Ah, right? oh, it's just a bit of fun. Yeah, I've bought some DJ decks through lockdown. It's been a bit of a distraction. It's yeah, love. I've always loved music. My dad's massive into music and stuff. So yeah, it's just that's fun. Clang some tunes, make a road racket. Sorry, upstairs neighbors. <laughs> There's a uh, there's a mix out there somewhere, isn't there? I think. Yeah, there's a couple. I've got another one coming out for a, a D like a collective of music guys called Tunage. Uh-huh. It's going to be out in July. Nice. You'll have to send us some links and we can put them in the show. Oh, notes please do All right. Yeah. Got to be done. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> yeah, needs cool. a little bit. If you like of, some uh, very loud, obnoxious drum and bass music, then click that link. Yeah. Perfect riding music. <laughs> Debatable. <laughs> nice one for me. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Well, we're getting um, we're getting close to the end of our time, but we've got four questions that we ask everybody. Oh man, I forgot about these. Oh, on the spot then. Oh. First one: If our listeners had one hundred and fifty pounds to spend to improve their performance on a bike, what should they go spend it on? Book a one-to-one coaching session with me through Dirt School website. Simple. Yeah. How long would they get for one hundred and fifty quid? It's a day course. Okay, so fair hours. play. Nice. I think. How, how does that work then? Do you do they come to you with what they perceive to be their weaknesses. Do you do some kind of session that helps you understand where you think they can mm. improve? Like how does it? So there's different levels of coaching that Dirt School offer. Um, the one-to-one obviously being the, the premium option. Yeah. Um, if it is a one-to-one course that somebody books onto, you'll, you'll book on, put your name down and you'll put like a little bit of a blurb. So we have an understanding of where you are, what you want to get out of the session, but really we'll, we'll meet you in the day, ask you a couple of questions, figure out what you want to, what you want to learn, what your weaknesses are. And then we'll just go for a ride. Uh-huh. We'll do like an assessment ride on a really basic trail. But what, what we always say is like, just ride how you're going to normally ride. We're going to be looking for things that you don't even know you're doing, man. Uh-huh. So, and then from there, we just kind of paint a picture of, we have such a good understanding of the local trails and what sessions we can run where. So it's like, we kind of just paint a picture and do our best to give you some more information and get you riding with more confidence really. Yeah. And people just go away like, wow, it was amazing. I didn't realize it was so upright on the bike or whatever, but not to give any secrets away. <laughs> you have to book on. All right. I like it. Sounds good. <laughs> Second question. If you could wind the clock back and sit down with yourself age 16, what advice would you give him? Keep smiling, have fun, uh, look after your friends. Nice. That's it. I like it. That's a good one. I've never heard the look after your friends one before. Is that is an answer to that question? Yes. It's pretty important. This year is probably of my eyes to that. Yeah. Everyone has struggled in some way, shape or form, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of people feel guilty about struggling because obviously there's always the, well, these people are worse off, but. Yeah. Nothing to feel guilty about, man. Yeah. Every, everyone struggles with stuff. And I'm very lucky to be in the place I live with the people around me, living with a really cool flatmate. Um, I feel terrible for people that have been stuck in the city on their own, man. It's been a horrible couple, couple of years and stuff. But yeah, nothing, nothing to feel guilty about. Everyone yeah. struggles with stuff, so just keep smiling. Yeah, reach out if you need help. Definitely, I bet you're glad you're here and not in uh, oh, dude, yeah. your previous place. Yeah. <laughs> The right call at the right time. Yeah, I'm yeah. grateful for the decisions I made. Fair play. Third question. If you could have a coaching session yourself from anyone, Ooh, past cool. or present, who would it be and what would you want to learn? 
Try to think of something cool. <laughs> Try to think of something out of cycling. Okay. Coaching with something like a like a mental coach or something. Yeah. I don't know any psychologist or something, but I think that would have maybe made a big difference in my life. For your focused on your riding or focused on life in general? Mm, both. Okay. If maybe that's two sessions, but well, I think I would, I would just just yeah. psychology in general, like different ways to think, look at things, accept things, be cool. With it. I don't know. Yeah, somebody that knows about brains and mental health, probably. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Have to find someone. <laughs> yeah, I'll do some research. Yeah, cool. And then last question: What do you do every day that you feel benefits you? Sleep. Big fan. Mm. <laughs> Never enough. How much? What's your like? What's a decent night's sleep for you? Uh, I've been working quite a lot recently, so I'll go to bed probably eleven. I'm up at seven thirty. Okay, it's not terrible bad. math. I was home homeschooled, so what's that? <laughs> so eight hours. Eight hours. <laughs> yeah, well, all solid right. eight hours every day, man. Everyone now knows we're both not great at math. <laughs> Job done. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Nice one, man. Well, it's been really interesting chatting and it's great to hear you so kind of upbeat about where you're at now and mm, so you. positive about what's going on in your life. So that's it's super cool. And if you do happen to uh turn up at a national for fun, then that'd be awesome. It'd be great to great to see you up there on We're a racetrack together. together. <laughs> Thank you very much. Love what you're doing. Keep Thanks, it up. Man. Cheers. If people want to if people want to follow you, where should they look? I've got many aliases. Okay. Um reel them off and we'll stick them in the show notes as well but just find me on instagram really it's all okay I really use instagram bike yeah nice one i've got instagram photo and i've got ilg photo with an f what's that one about so kind of a artsy fartsy okay. account mm. black and white only very nice yeah we're quite proud of that one cool i haven't seen that I'll curating it, it slowly very nice all right man we'll have a good uh Remainder of the weekend. Thanks a lot for your time. Yeehaw. Yeah. Take care. Thank you. Cheers, man. Peace. All right, that's it for this episode with Inners. I really hope you've enjoyed listening. Thank you to Earshots for supporting this episode. If you want a chance to win a pair of their awesome headphones with the proprietary magnetic ear clip design, then all you need to do is to head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash earshots, leave your name and your email address before midnight on the 13th of July. So head there now and get it done. Also, thanks to Nukeproof. They've just launched their first e-bike, the Megawatt, and it seems to be going down well, with super techie reviewer Seb Stott saying they've knocked it out of the park. There's three models to check out, and they're stocked with dealers now. So head over to nukeproof.com to see the bikes and find out more. There's just one thing left for you to do, and that's to head over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP and leave us your name and email address to make sure you're amongst the first people on the planet to find out what we're up to. All the links are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. If you want to represent the show, you can get your hands on some of our merch by heading over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop with all the proceeds going to help improve the podcast. If you're still listening and you've got a bit of time, then there are a few ways you can help out. Tell your mates about the podcast because the more people who listen, the easier it is for me to keep this thing going. Share the episodes on your social media. It's a great way to spread the word and it gets some buzz going around the episodes too. And if you fancy it, then a review on Apple Podcasts goes a long way. All right, there's going to be another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until then, get out and ride. <laughs>